For our scripture reading this morning, we'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Let's stand in honor of God's word. I will read verse 9, we'll read verse 10 together, and so on down through the passage. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, I need help today. Help me to represent you. Help me to speak your truth. And help all who hear me today to not hear merely the words of Paul or of Dan, but the word of God. May you speak through your word and by your spirit. May you encourage us where we need encouragement. May you correct us where we need correction. May we be under the word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've jumped ahead to this passage because it is Mother's Day. We'll deal with the men next week. Make sure your men are here for that, please, ladies. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the young pastor, Timothy, to tell Timothy how to deal with different issues and different people in the church there at Ephesus. The biggest problem was false doctrine, and so he establishes in chapter 1 that Timothy is to preach the truth, and that this will not only be positive, but it will be negative in that Timothy will also be, re- be required to identify the error and to show the difference between what is true and what is false in the doctrines regarding God and the gospel. Uh, now, as often in Paul's letters, uh, he deals with the practical outworking of the gospel change that takes place in a person's life. And he tells Timothy how to deal with the women in the assembly, especially in regard to public worship. This was important because the church was a new thing. And yet also there were some precedents established, not only in the 
temple worship in Old Testament Judaism, but uh, in the way that Jews gathered. Generally, uh, the men were teaching, the men were learning, and the women were extremely peripheral peripheral to the synagogue. And uh, in most situations in ancient culture, uh, women were not honored, they were not taught, they were not educated, and they were not part of uh, the religious and spiritual activities in various cultures. I do not believe that anything has exalted the role of women in worship and in the family more than the coming of Christ and Christianity. I believe that women should be thankful for Jesus just for that, not to mention everything else he has done. And we see that in the ministry of Jesus, how he ministered to individual women, The woman at the well, the woman caught in the act of adultery, the women who followed him. And if you will check your Bible in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we find out how Jesus financed his ministry. Have you ever known how Jesus' ministry was funded? Imagine feeding 13 guys for three years. You ever try to do that? You're talking a grocery bill. Who paid the grocery bill? Just as an aside, let's take a look at that. Luke chapter 8. I was shocked to see this. Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. You know, manna did not fall from heaven for these people. They had to go into a village and buy food. Where did they get the money? Luke chapter 8 and verse 1, soon afterwards he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, hey, there's some money, and Susanna, and many others who were, what? Contributing to their support out of their private means. That's the only place I can find to really see where the regular maintenance of these 13 guys was funded. Interesting. Ladies, it's interesting that on the resurrection morning, it was the women who believed and proclaimed the gospel that Christ had risen from the dead. The good news. We see the early church in its first meeting, which was a prayer meeting, gathered in the upper room. And the women were there with the men praying. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, there praying to Jesus. People weren't praying to Mary. Mary was praying to Jesus. Women, very involved. Prophetesses, deaconesses. We find the new thing in the church culturally was the active participation of women in this thing called the New Testament church. But what about the public worship? 
How is Timothy going to relate to the women in his congregation? I was talking to a young man who was thinking of going into the ministry, and I said, there's two things you're going to have to deal with correctly, money and women. If you mess up in either of those areas, you will not last in the ministry. Very important, very important. And so Paul tells Timothy how the ladies who are professing godliness, not just ladies that wander in or people are on the periphery, but the core women of the church who are believers, who are disciples, who are followers of Christ, how they should be in the assembled worshiping church, a service like this. Now, they didn't have buildings like this. They met in homes. But we know that from some of the earliest days, they began knocking out walls in some of these homes and making places of regular worship. So when the church is gathered, you know, it's funny. You ever visit a new church? How many of you ever visited a new church? Yeah. You know how you notice some things right away? You notice how people dress? And you notice what kind of people are in charge, don't you? You kind of notice. You notice those things. And he says, there's some things in the assembled church that are going to be important. And he deals with the men in the first eight verses. We'll get to that next week, Lord willing. But here he deals with the women in verses 9 through 15. And as I outline this out, he covers... How she looks, how she learns, and how she leads. But the most important L of all is who is her Lord? Lordship. Because how she looks and how she learns and how she leads reflects on her Lord. Whether we be men or women or boys and girls, if we are followers of Christ, people are watching us. They may not be listening to us. You ever notice that? They go, no, 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 don't talk about that. Like your relatives, you know. Don't, talk, don't bring up that born-again stuff again. But they are watching you like a hawk. They're watching you. They're watching. You say, well... Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Yeah, that's true. But I'm not God, and most of us are not. None of us are. Yeah. He says it's important how she looks, how she learns, how she leads. First of all, he gets right to the most difficult subject of all, and he says, I want you to make sure that the women adorn themselves. That word adorn is interesting. It's cosmeo, from which we get our word cosmetics. Powder and paint to cover what ain't. I don't know what it is, but uh, uh, cosmetics. You know, it's a big industry in our country. People make a lot of money on that stuff. It's amazing. Even men are starting to paint themselves up. It's, it's amazing. But the word has the idea of an orderly arrangement. It talks about the orderly arrangement. How many of you looked in the mirror already this morning? Yeah, see, that was good. 
She said, I need to make an orderly arrangement. When you saw your hair, your face, whatever it was. Yeah. He says, I want the women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as it is proper for women making a claim to godliness. So the big question comes, is God against jewelry? You know, is God against jewelry? And I was thinking about that. And I waited, I said, who created jewelry? You know, God made jewels, didn't he? Yeah, he made that. He made this earth. And, and, it, and, and when, when he clothes his bride, the church, when Jesus clothes his bride in the new Jerusalem, it's all covered with pearls, amen? You know, you think about it. And the walls are made of precious gems. They're described like the high priest's garment. And I don't think God is against jewelry. Well, what is this point? Go over with me to 1 Peter 3. The best commentary on the scriptures is the scripture itself. And as a preacher, I can't go wrong quoting from the Bible, right? Not in this church, anyway. 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter, not Paul. Some people say, well, Paul, he was just, he was a single guy. He didn't know any better, you know. Peter was married. I mean, he had a mother-in-law. He had to be married, right? Remember, Jesus raised his mother-in-law. And, and I know he was a pope, but he was married. He was. And, uh, and he speaks here the, uh, by, uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking here to wives whose husbands don't obey the word. Doesn't say he's not saved. Just says he's not obedient to the Lord. And that's a hard thing. Because a lot of women have husbands that don't listen to the Lord, and then the wife tries to figure out what she's supposed to do. She's pulled in two directions in her life. What does she do? In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, while they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adorning must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. God's not against people putting on dresses or wearing gold jewelry or braiding their hair. But he wants it to be, verse 4, the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. He's talking about the emphasis of your preparation for worship. And if you have spent more time on the outside than on the inside, you're not ready for worship, whether you're a man or a woman. Because the most important thing about you when you come to worship is not how you look. It is the condition of your heart. Have you been walking with God? Have you been in his word? Have you been obeying his promptings? Are you coming anticipating a word from God? Are you coming with gratefulness to worship our great God? And you're going to give yourself wholeheartedly to worship. Basically, he says here, 
good works. As we go back to our text, the real clothing of a godly woman is her good works. I have to address my mother in grace one more time on the live feed. Because she taught my wife this little ditty that my wife really learned, which is, pretty is as pretty does. It's what her mother taught her. It's true. My wife is very pretty. Not just externally, but internally, because she does good works. It is the good works of a Christian woman that is that which is so beautiful about her. And while age and injury and illness may affect the outward appearance, lack of finances can affect the outward appearance, but I'll tell you what, the inward man is renewed day by day with that imperishable beauty of Christ within that is beautiful, whether it be a man or a woman, a teenager, a boy, or a girl. So, the first thing he addresses in regard to the behavior of believers in the assembled church is the emphasis of the women. Is it on her appearance or is it on her works for God? You say, wait a minute. I thought you didn't believe in good works. (laughs) I do. I don't believe in good works for salvation. You can't do enough good works to get saved. There is no good work you could ever do that would save you. The good work has already been done on the cross for salvation. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again. He accomplished it. It is finished. You can add nothing to it. You can take nothing from it. It is complete. He did the good work of salvation, but once we've received that good work as a gift by faith, then... He has saved us on two good works. And now he is working through us. He is working through us. And so we go through our day and we read his word and we meditate upon it. And the Holy Spirit takes it and applies it and prompts us to do good works. And when we are prompted, we obey the Lord and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And someday he will come for us and there will be rewards for good works done for his glory. What a beautiful woman she is when she is clothed with good works. I think of a woman named Dorcas described in the book of Acts. She was a lady who was making clothes. But she wasn't just making clothes for herself nor even for her family, but for the poor people in her neighborhood. She was clothing the widows and the orphans in her neighborhood, so much so that when she died, they all came and they said, she can't be dead. Where am I going to get my clothes? Peter raised her up because they needed her. They didn't just go by her casket and say, well, she lived a full life. They said, no, she can't die. We need her. Why? Because she was clothed in good works. It is the good works of the church that is the clothing of his bride when he has that great marriage supper of the Lamb. They are clothed in those white garments which are the good works of the church. 
God wants his bride to be clothed in good works. They are the true jewelry. They are the true braids. They are the true beauty of the Christian woman, how she looks in the assembly because of what she does. Who do you dress for, ladies? Do you dress for the other women? You get here and you think, oh, they're wearing that today. Oh, what if I should have worn this? All this kind of stuff. It says, dress for the Lord. Dress for the Lord. Seek to please him. How she looks. It gets even more tricky as we go on. How she learns, verses 11 to 14. How she learns. Notice there is a command here. A woman must quietly receive instruction. This was revolutionary in the ancient world. How sad it is today that in many countries around the world, little girls are not educated to read and write. The idea is to keep them ignorant like slaves. Keep them ignorant and it'll keep them down. Paul says to Timothy, let the women learn. And that word there is the word for disciple. Let the women be discipled. In fact, in Timothy chapter 2, uh, Titus rather, chapter 2, he says that the older women should teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. Teach them. Learn. Learn. Women must learn. They must be discipled. They must be trained. And I'll tell you, one of the best things that can ever happen to you ladies is to have an older woman who has walked with God to disciple you in the practical application of the Christian life in a, in a lady's life. How she learns. She is to learn quietly and submissively in the assembly. Why? Because there is an eternal principle of headship throughout God's created order. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Again, comparing Scripture with Scripture. Ephesians 5 and verse 22. And this is really politically incorrect. You know that. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. I mean, women are supposed to treat their husbands like he was Jesus. Now, you know he's not Jesus, right? You know that. But you're to treat him as if he was Jesus. Actually, the man's job is tougher. We'll get that next week. His job is to be Jesus, okay? That's tougher. Why is the wife to subject herself to her own husband as the Lord? For, here's the reason, verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so what the wives to be to their own husbands when they feel like it, when they want to. And no, no, in everything. Why? Why is this headship? And what is headship? You know, God never calls men to dominate or domineer or boss or lord it over or be pushy with their wives. That is a false concept. God calls wives to lovingly, willingly submit to their 
husband as the head of the home. You say, well, wait a minute, does that mean he's smarter than me? No. I've puzzled for years as to why in the world God put men in charge. In the home and in the church. Why did he put men in charge? I've puzzled. My own opinion is that if he hadn't put us in charge, we wouldn't be in charge. Because women are so much better at family stuff and church stuff. They just naturally are. You go to the Christian bookstore and find out who is reading Christian books. It's not the men. Women are reading Christian books. Why is it that the jails are full of men? I don't understand that. You know, there's, I don't know what it is. I just think, I think God's trying to help the men is really what it is. Because women are so good at family stuff, so good at church stuff. And today, families are full of women raising their children by themselves, and the churches are full of women and empty of men, generally speaking. How I praise God for a church like this that has as many men as it has women. I was counting them. I was watching the videos of church services before I ever arrived here, and I was looking at the heads from the back, of course. And I was counting the backs of men's heads and the count, counting the backs of women's heads from, from the video. I even looked at the choir. Isn't this great? We have men in the choir, a few missing today. But men in the choir. Do you know how many churches have choirs full of women and congregations full of women? No wonder they're being led by women. Situation. Headship. You ever think about your head? Are you thankful for your head? I mean, isn't it great to have a head, you know? We used to slaughter chickens, and I've seen chickens run around. They don't do well without their head. They just, they can run for a little bit, but they, they don't do well. And how many headless churches and headless homes are there in our country today? I don't want to go long into this, but I believe that the problems in this country are, are not primarily gun problems or law problems or even mental health problems. I believe the problems in this family, in this nation, are family problems. And a lot of it results from the failures of men to be the head of their home. My head does a lot of good things for me. You know, all the food that ever entered my body came through my head. You know? Anything I've ever seen was seen by my head. Anything that was ever heard was heard by my head. Every little bit of air I ever breathed came through my head. My head is tremendously beneficial to my body. I think there's even a brain in there somewhere. Yeah. Headship. Headship means care. It means provision. It means planning. It means guidance. It means wisdom. The man is to be the head of the home. Even, and I want you to look at this next one. This is really interesting. 1 Corinthians 11.3. 1 Corinthians 11.3. And this may come as a shock to you in today's world. But the Bible indicates that there's only two kinds of people, males and females. I know that's revolutionary and shocking. The Bible indicates that that's true. Chapter 11 is again talking to the church at Corinth about how men and women are to appear and act in the assembled church. 
has to do with uh, their heads and so forth. But there's something interesting here in the meaning for it. Verse 3, 1 Corinthians eleven three. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and man, the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. And let me ask you a question. Is the Son equal to the Father in the triune God? Yes. Jesus is God, fully God. The Trinity tells us there is one God in three persons, each person of which is fully God. The Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, the Spirit is fully God, and yet there is one God. That's a doctrine of the Trinity. Bad math, good theology. It's biblically true. And so the Father and the Son are equally God of equal value and importance and equal in deity. And yet, for the purpose of our salvation, the Son became submissive to the Father, came under the Father. In fact, while here on earth, he said he did everything in submission and by the power of the Father. Which is why some cultists say, well, Jesus is not God. Because he had to pray. He had to rely on the Father. Can't be fully God. Yes, the Bible says he was in the beginning with God and he is God. Jesus is fully God. So when the Bible speaks of headship, it is not talking about inferiority. It is not talking about women being inferior to men in any way. The Bible speaks of how in Christ we are all one, male and female. Amen? And in heaven, we're not even going to be male and female. We're going to be like the angels, whatever that is. We're not going to be married or given in marriage. This male-female thing is temporary, folks. But the fact is that we are equal before God, equal in value. Man and woman are completely equal, and yet we hold different positions in the family and in the church due to the established headship of God's created order. And Satan is always trying to undermine God's created order. It began with Lucifer, who was not content to be the highest angel in heaven. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be God. So he got kicked down to earth. And Satan tempted the woman to become the head of her husband, Adam, in the garden. And so we ended up with sin and the curse and death. And Satan is always trying to corrupt the divine order. That is what is going on in our world today. There is somehow a satanic effort to deny the headship that God has established in the family and in the church. Just don't let it happen in your family or in your church. You cannot affect the whole country and what's going on in this world. But you women hold the key. Your husband will never be the head of the home until you lovingly, willingly submit to him, even though you're smarter than he is. And both of you know it. Mm. 
And so you learn to appeal to him when he makes a decision or says something you know is wrong. You appeal to him and say, have you sought the advice of your head on that? Have you talked to the Lord about it? Because the head of every man is Christ. Men, let Christ be your head. And you will find it a lot easier for your wife to let you be the head of your home. She learns quietly and submissively because of the principle of headship. Yes, there is spiritual equality in the church, but there are different roles, just as there are different roles in the triune God. There are different roles in the church, and that truth is expressed by the fact that God has put men in charge of the public worship of the church. Women are to participate, they are to learn, and they can be participating in many, many ways, but men are to lead the church. God established that. It is his way. If you want to follow him and his divine order, that's how it works. And then the third one, that's controversial too. How she leads. I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. How does she lead? Many churches today are led by women pastors. The senior pastor is a woman. Works out very nicely. The husband has a job and makes some money. The church owns a parsonage anyway, so the family lives there. And the church can have a, a, a pastor w- with good education without having to spend a whole lot of money to support a whole family. And that's what's happening in churches around our land. The Apostle Paul said he didn't allow that. He didn't allow it. Why? You say, well, that was just the Roman and Greek culture. Culture has changed. You know, he does not base it on culture. Verse 13 is not about culture. It is pre-cultural. He goes back to creation and the fall. And he bases the divine order in the church on creation and the fall. And that's why the pastor, your next senior pastor, needs to be the husband of one wife. Amen? I think that implies that he's going to be a man. Why? Because of the divine order. Based on the order of creation and the fall. God created Adam and then he created Eve as a helper. You know why? Because men need help. They do. We do. We need help. Praise God. If you have a woman who is a help to you, I have a woman that is such a help to me. Diane is such a help to me. What a blessing. What a blessing. And, uh, and, and, and you know, it's funny. I remember people used to ask my wife when we were raising our six kids, they'd say, do you work? <laughs> He's a pastor's wife raising six kids. Do you work? 
I love that when you have to fill it out on your tax forms. Occupation. I have a pastor friend of mine, he filled out that his wife was an oikologist. Sounds pretty high class, doesn't it? Yeah, it just took the Greek words that she was one who was keeping the house, the housekeeper, if you will, the homemaker. Yeah. Do you work? I'll tell you, women work. And I see women today who are working full-time jobs and raising kids. And then they have to watch TV and spend time online. I mean, go to the gym. How do they do it? You know, the superwoman. It's incredible. Who is she to lead? If she's not to lead in the assembly, and if she's not to be the one who is the doctrinal teacher in the assembly of believers in the worship service, then what about her gifts? Women are such gifted gifted people. They have wonderful spiritual gifts, especially gifts of leading and teaching. What does a woman do who has gifts of leading and teaching? And that, I believe, leads us to an explanation of one of the most tricky verses in all the Bible. Verse 15, what in the world is that about? Women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now, the word is sozo, or translated saved elsewhere. Saved from what? Preserved from what? Well, I think the logical outcome of the flow of this text is, so if women cannot be the upfront leaders in the church, and if pastor teachers are to be men, husbands of one wife, and that's the divine order, what does she do with her gifts? And I believe she is saved from feeling useless. She is saved from feeling set aside or inferior by being given the greatest task in the world of discipleship. Had the privilege of seeing a man come to Christ and discipling him, he said, I want to preach! (laughs) I said, you know, I didn't start in the pulpit in a church. As a young man, I started preaching in rescue missions and prisons and nursing homes and places like that with a captive audience, you know. (laughs) But I said, you know, you're a a dad and, and, and you're a husband. And so... Uh, now that you are clothed and in your right mind like the man in the Gadarenes, you need to go home and you need to disciple your wife and your children. That is your congregation. And mothers have such a wonderful opportunity. Why? They have the opportunity to shape and mold the lives of young children on a daily basis. And what is their curriculum? He mentions four things that godly mothers can teach their children in the raising of these children. Notice you will you need to teach them faith. If they continue, and they've got to make a decision whether they're going to continue or not. You know, our children are going to make up their minds whether they're going to follow our faith or not. Timothy followed the faith of his mother and grandmother. Our prayer is that our children, our grandchildren, will follow our faith. But notice he says that's the first thing on the curriculum of a mother 
teaching her children or a woman teaching children, the children of others, bringing up children as he speaks of uh, later in chapter 5 and verse 9. Notice the curriculum here. It is faith, teaching the children to trust the Lord, showing them faith. So the child's there in Walmart with you and says, Mommy, can I have that toy? You know what I used to say to my kids when they'd say that to me? I'd say, can you afford it? Let's pray about it. Maybe if you saved up for it, you could afford it. You know, kids do have money-making methods. Birthdays, you know, different things. Money comes their way. And so the mother teaches the children to trust God. We've got a problem in our family. Let's pray about it. Daddy's away and he, we're worried about him. Let's pray about daddy while he's traveling. Let's pray about daddy while he's off in the army or whatever he's doing. Let's pray. And so we teach our children that we know how to trust God. And we read the Bible to them and we say that's true and we believe it. We teach our children to trust God and to trust His Word in the practical applications of life. When the child is afraid, when the child is going through something, the mom says, let's pray, let's trust God. And then see Him answer prayer and their faith begins to grow like a muscle. Amen? Teach them love. One of the hardest things of growing up in a preacher's house, I grew up in a, I'm a preacher's kid and my kids are preacher's kids, not easy. And the reason is that you're always under scrutiny. You live in a fishbowl, okay? And often you are involved in ministering together as a family. You're going to somebody's house together. They're coming to your house. You have house guests. People are there. And, and so we had to tell our kids, you know, the, the, the password today is others. Others. Yes, this is making us uncomfortable. Yes, this is difficult. Yes, this is going to be work. But you know what? God has called us to minister to others. And so as a family, we ministered to others. Teaching them love. Self-sacrificing love. Yes, that missionary is going to sleep in your bed tonight. So you're downstairs in the family room on the rug. Yep, that's right. You're going to give your bed for the Lord's work tonight. You're going to share your food. You're going to be interested. You're going to listen to that long-winded person. And stay up late listening to them. Why? Because we live for others. Because we live for the Lord. You're going to teach them love. You're going to teach them holiness. Sanctity. But all the other kids are doing it. You're not all the other kids. But their family. This is our family. No, we don't do that. We're different. We don't watch that. We don't play that. We don't go there. We don't do that. Why? We're different. We're Christians. We love the Lord. That's why we don't do certain things. Amen? How many ever said no to your children? How many, how many of them liked it? You're not going out of the house wearing that. What? 
Everybody else is. Yeah, but we're not everybody else. We belong to the Lord. And then teach them self-control, self-restraint. The curriculum of a godly mother is self-restraint. They notice that we say no to ourselves. That we are as careful with ourselves as, as we want them to be. That the very things that we're, we're not doing this, do as I say, not as I do. They will do as we do. And other people can see it, can't they? They say, you look, you know, your, your son looks just like you and he acts just like you. It's like, what a surprise. Sometimes we notice how different our children are, but other people notice that the apple does not fall far from that tree. Let's be the tree that God wants us to be so when they fall from it, they won't be far off the path. You're going to get a new senior pastor. He will do well to value the women of Wake Chapel Christian Church for your modesty, your discretion, your good works, your submissive attitudes, your ministries to children, and the ministries of older women to younger women. I pray that he will. Because I believe that the women of the church are so vital to the health, the spirituality, the effectiveness of the church. My dad always said... He said, I only preach on Sunday. Mom preaches all week. You know, he said, she's the preacher in the family. Of course, my dad said, I'm the head of this home and my wife is the neck that turns the head. (laughs) Women are so important. Women are so vital. And we live in a world in which gender roles and gender studies have made this thing so confusing. They've got so many letters now. I don't know what they're going to come up with the rest of the LGBTQ, RES, TUV, WXYZ. I don't know. They've got all these letters. There's only two kinds of people, males and females. We are equal before God, and we have varying roles in the divine order there is a headship system that God has established and we would do well to coordinate with it. You see, the real issue here is not gender. The real issue here is not the authority of men. The real issue here is the authority of God and His Word. And a church that is under the Word of God will do it God's way no matter what the culture and society does because they are under the word they're not trying to do this somehow fit the bible and the modern culture together i'll tell you these phds can twist the language up in this word and make it say anything they want it to say but it says what it says the word is clear the question is are we under the lordship of christ or not i want to close with a key passage, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that have been transformative in my life. I came to a point at age 16. I had been saved for a number of years, but I was just enjoying the thought of running my own life. 
as a teenager. Teenagers love their freedom, want to make their own decisions. But someone shared this passage with me, and God used it in my life. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that's God's salvation. It's all based on his mercy. He saved us by being merciful to us and sending his son to die for us and rise again. The mercies of God, that's salvation. I urge you on that basis to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. If you are a saved person, and you have never placed your life on the altar of living sacrifice, today is the day to do it. Give your whole self to God. Become a willing servant of the Lord. That means that you've decided ahead of time that you're going to obey the Lord. You've decided it ahead of time. You've signed up for that. And when you come to something in the Scripture that cuts across your way of thinking, your way of life, and the culture in which you live, then you say, I have already submitted to you. You are my Lord. You are my head. I will do it your way. And what you will find is a fullness of love and peace and joy beginning to become fruitful in your life that will glorify God, that will bless your family, and that will build your church. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would work in our hearts and lives, that we would will it, be willing to be the men and women that you've called us to be, to fulfill our role in our families and in our church that we might glorify you and point people to you, Lord Jesus, the true Savior and Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank God for his word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Our deacon, Hal Johnson, is going to come and lead us in prayer. And we have some of our young folks who are going to be positioned around the building to share a flower with our mothers this morning. Please take that as a small token of our appreciation to the Lord for you. May the Lord give you a wonderful Mother's Day, and may the Lord bless His church today and keep us, cause His face to shine upon us. Thank you, Hal, for leading us. Let's pray. Uh, God in heaven, as we celebrate Mother's Day, we thank you for our mothers who cared for us when we were helpless, who confronted us, excuse me, comforted us when we were hurt, and whose love and care we often took for granted. Father, we pray for those today who are grieving the loss of their mother, and for us who still have the privilege of having our mother still with us. Thank you, Lord, for the holy union of man and woman, instituted by you so that all may experience the love of a mother. We pray for our mission of the week, Pioneer Missions, as David and Sonia Cram are serving the Lord through church plantings in Cambodia. Bless this day, our Lord, we pray, and help us all to demonstrate the love of a mother as we encounter a lost and ailing world around us. I ask these in all prayers through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.